neighbor who is our neighbor um pastor rusty asked us to um share about our neighborhood and i can't we can't share about it without backing up to share about how god put us in that neighborhood um it was the first house we looked at when we were down visiting our daughter and it was perfect it was absolutely perfect it had everything we needed we needed to be able to move in it needed to be moving ready. We needed to be able to park our trailer next to the house because we're too cheap to pay for a <laughs> rental facility. So um, it was perfect. So we sat out under the gazebo, and our yard is huge. Everybody that comes over, they cannot believe how big our yard is. It's huge. It's wonderful. Anyway, um, we sat out back, and we put in an offer, full-price offer, and it came back, it was rejected. And so we continued, that was on a Tuesday, we continued looking at houses Wednesday, Thursday, well, that was on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we looked at houses, we were going from next to the last house to the last house, and I told our 
real estate agent. I said, maybe you should check with the realtor and just tell them, you know, if their financing or something falls through, give us a call. We're still interested because I just really had no hope <laughs> for the next one either. And so he did. And by the time we got to the next house, the real estate agent had said, as a matter of fact, the financing did fall through, and if they will give us the 5000 over asking, I won't even put it on the market. And we said, done. So um, we got the house. So what we do, uh, when, when you think about neighbors, neighbors ain't just who lives beside you, but neighbors are people that you come in contact with. Jesus says to treat your neighbors as yourself. So when you think of neighbors, I mean, you've got to think of yourself. Okay, how am I doing? Am I want, do, that, do I want those neighbors to be like me? Or do I want to be like the neighbors? You, you know, we got to treat our neighbors as ourselves, meaning that, hey, if they need help, we need to help them. I mean, you're going to help yourself, right? So if if your neighbor needs help, you need to help them. And and it, like, like I say, it's not just the neighbor beside you. It could be someone you meet that might need help, you know. And uh, But, yes, we've been so blessed uh, to be put where we have been put. And we do get to know our neighbors in the neighborhood. I mean, I I, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of shy, but when it comes to going out and talking to people, I'm not shy. I mean, I'll go up to somebody and say, hey, I mean, I think I knew all four of my neighbors right around my area before we even got all the way moved in. So you got to put yourself out there. You know, people are hurting. People need each other. And we have Christ in our lives. We have Jesus, the mighty Savior of the world, and we need to put ourselves out there and be Christ. Be Christ in your neighborhood. Be, we can't be Jesus, but he can live through us to be just like him. And that's what he's called us to be. So we do a uh, Halloween thing every year. I mean, everybody does Halloween, right? So we handed out 150 uh, little flyers goodie bags last year and we put in a track a gospel track in with it and i mean we had we, we pretty much got rid of all of them yeah and a lot of kids come through the neighborhood so that's one of the ways that we uh reach out to our neighbors uh, i've cut my neighbor's grass on my left and on my right just because i'm on a ride in lawnmower and it's easy to get done when i got it out there so i just whack down their grass for them you know and they're appreciative but Sue tells me I shouldn't do that sometimes because I might make them feel bad, but I don't think so. I think it's being a ministry. And uh, I also think that, uh, and I've mentioned this to her before, there's some older couples that live in our neighborhood, and I don't know what kind of finances they have and stuff, but I got this more, and I like to ride around, and I said, maybe I should go check with these people and see if they need their grass cut instead of them having to pay to have it cut. I mean, I'll do it for free. It's not like... It's a big chore, you know. You sitting around riding around, you know. So, anyways, uh, and and uh, anything else you got? Yeah. Oh, I heard. Yes, I made notes. Uh, I didn't read them. He did not. So, one of the other blessings that we have, that we all have, being in this church, is you can sign up for Bless Every Home. Our last church did not do that. We have 40 homes in our neighborhood that we pray for, and it it gives us like five or six names every night and or every day, and we pray for those families, and and then we pray for the ones that they don't have on there, like people on each side of us, how they miss those. I, I just don't understand how it works, but we have names to go with the faces, and if they happen to have old information, we can update it because we know. We know who lives with us because we get out and we walk and and we talk to them. Can you believe my, my parents did not want me to marry him because he was too quiet? Yeah. I was. But he was lots of he is lots of fun. And and that you know, that is just the way he is. I am I'm not that way. Um but we walk our neighborhood when it's not hundred and twenty degrees outside. <laughs> it is so hot, um, and we try to 
we try to meet our neighbors and we try to be intentional to connect with them. You know, we haven't had any great salvation encounters, but we know our neighbors and we are there for them if if we know of a need. And um, we are just so grateful for where God put us and where God put us in relationship to our church. It's just it's amazing. And we, we kind of had a block party last year. Was it last year or this year? In May. Anyways, before we left, and uh, this lady wanted to do a block party, so she invited people, and we started inviting people, and we wanted to show up. We couldn't be there for the whole thing, but we wanted to be there to be an example because she had a, uh, a trailer out there that she was serving free drinks, and uh, we just wanted to be there so that we could share our free drinks, Christ, you know. So and we and we got good friends like Raleigh and Eva. They live in our neighborhood, and they're on the uh, bless every home prayer. So our neighborhood is getting prayed for. So hopefully, well I know it's going to happen. One day there's going to be a revival in that neighborhood, and I believe it's going to happen. And because you got people like Raleigh and Eva and us, and there's other people that are in our neighborhood that we know are Christians, and one of these days we're going to have a revival there. We'll get out there, be a good neighbor, be someone for somebody, because God is in us. Thank you. Thank you, Rich and Sue. If any home, if any homes come up in their neighborhood, um, please let me know. I'm find a, a neighbor that'll mow my yard. That would be. I, I might move for that. Um, no, we are thankful for for their ministry and their presence, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for many things, but two things I'm very thankful for. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit that reminds me of things I forget, and I'm thankful that my wife reminds me of things that I forget as well. And um, one of the things we were talking about when we were listening to Richard Sue is before they even built the homes in the community of Vinewood, um, we were praying here at the church for that neighborhood. We've done several different outreaches over the years, and then this many years later, you know, the Lord has planted families there um, that are on mission, that are being good neighbors. And so we are thankful for that. Thank you, Rich and Sue, um, for sharing. Um, that's just a, a wonderful blessing, and may that be a, a challenge to us all. Um, Luke chapter 10 is where I want you to turn your Bible. We're going to continue a series, We Are the Church. Last week we looked at grace, how grace was revealed um, through Jesus, and how we as recipients of that Grace, have the responsibility to share that grace with others in, um, as we come in contact with them. And this week, we are going to talk about neighbors. Who is my neighbor? Now, with the exception of not wearing a tie and a sweater, and I'm not going to change shoes, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? Please, won't you be my neighbor? From 1968 all the way to 2001, Mr. Rogers welcomed his neighbors, young and old, into his home, his neighborhood, and his little piece of the world. You may know this, but he was an ordained Presbyterian minister, and he offered kindness, love, and hope on public television. And only the fact that it was public television funded by the government kept him from being more open and sharing about his faith. And on that program, we were introduced to his neighbors, Mr. McFeely, remember Speedy Delivery, um, King Friday, Lady Elaine Fairchild, puppets, Mayor Maggie, puppet, um, Officer Clemens, and Daniel Tiger, who later grew to fame and got his own television show, just to name a few. And for millions and millions of children, he modeled what it meant to be a neighbor, to create an environment where Kids and adults alike could be, in his words, loved into loving. He highlighted helpers, those that reached out to others in need. And this is what he said about his time on television, his life. To love someone is to strive to accept that person actually the way he or she is right here and right now. But long before the man, Mr. Rogers, enjoyed his first beautiful day in a neighborhood where he grew up, there was a lawyer who encountered 
our Savior. And he asked a very important but loaded question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus told a story. He found out who his neighbor was and he received a challenge to be a neighbor as well. And I want us to explore this morning as we think about the fact that we are the church, that we pray for Christ's love and compassion to fill us and enable us so that we can go out and we can meet the needs of neighbors, which Rich pointed out to us, are not the people that just live on our left and our right. They are people all around us. Why? Because our neighbors need to experience the love and compassion of Jesus through our attitudes and our actions. So let's read this story. It starts there in chapter 10, verse 25. It's very very familiar to a lot of folks, especially if you grew up in Sunday school. I remember the story well because for years when I was in Boy Scouts, we would drive um, on an old school bus called our Scout bus, and we would go to near, we would go into Oklahoma, near Lawton, Oklahoma, to a Easter Christmas pageant sunrise service and our role as our Boy Scout troop was to participate in the scene um, of the Good Samaritan and I was so excited the year I got to be a robber and got to carry a foam club out. This story has impacted lives um, both people in the church and outside the church showing us what it means to be a neighbor. So let's pick it up verse 25 and behold a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the lawyer, said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that our Lord, that you set, Lord Jesus, in showing compassion to those around you. And Lord, we ask that through the words you have spoken, that you would train us and teach us this morning. Show us the great need that our neighbors have to see your love and compassion lived out through our lives, through our attitudes and our actions. Help us to understand, to listen and apply to your word, to our lives. And we trust you would help us. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. And so as we walk through this story, I want us to see three important things, and they're listed in your bulletin so you can can keep up, you can follow along. We're going to see that there is a point of intersection, that there is a time for interaction, and there is a call to intervention. So first, let's look at the, the intersection. And I want you to think about this. Our neighbors are all around us. Just as Rich pointed out, it's not just the folks that are near us. It's everyone we come in contact with. And in the story that we read today from the pen of Luke, we find Jesus encountered 
being a lawyer, a Jewish legal expert who asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it says there that he was doing this in order to test Jesus. Now that word could mean to prove the quality of something, or it could mean that he intended to trap Jesus in his words if he could. We don't know much about his motives. We're not sure of them, but one commentator said that it was a good question with a bad motive. And so Jesus takes the question and directs the lawyer back to the authority of the day, the Jewish law, the Old Testament. And he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it or what is your interpretation? And you listen to the answer from the lawyer and anyone listening who knew anything about the Jewish law would have given him a 100 A++ answer because he comes out with, love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The great commandment. And also love your neighbor as you would yourself. And we see that Jesus, when questioned about this, about the law, summed up the whole of the law in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love others as you would yourself. And one command flows naturally to the other that love for God is going to result in love for others and love for others reveals the love you have for God. And so there's no doubt that he has given the correct answer. But the question that the lawyer fails to answer and needs to answer is, is my life shaped like that? Do I look like that? He knew the truth, but was he living in the light of the truth? And so Jesus answers and says, do this and you will live. Now, we know from experience that no person could possibly do that all of the time, to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. Why? Because we're human. Even though we're created in the image of God, sin entered the world and we have a sin nature. And if the lawyer could or any person that ever lived could possibly live up to that 100% of the time, then they would indeed not need a Savior and would have eternal life. But the truth of the matter is, Nobody can do that. Only Jesus did that. It's a reminder that the works we do will never be enough. Those works never ever earn us anything from God. They're simply the fruit of our relationship. Because as we looked at last week, that salvation that God provides is a gift of His grace. We inherit it. We receive it. We don't earn it. And so when you put your faith in Jesus his love and His works flow from us and in us. Now the phrase that follows that, turning the spotlight back onto the lawyer, is a little interesting. It says, desiring to justify himself. Now, nobody here has probably ever tried to justify themselves, so we might need to dig a little deeper and find out exactly what this means. And so, in an attempt to make himself look better, he is wanting to define the limits of his neighborhood. Who exactly do I need to love? He wanted to love, but he wanted to do it on his own terms, in his own way. Now, we probably know from experience that it's never a good thing when you try to justify yourself. You know, those times when you try to make wrong seem right. Well, I was just saying, no, I mean this. Uh, no, I was just saying that. Or you're in, in a tough spot and you're trying to wiggle your way out. It never really comes off well. And so when we try to justify ourselves, we soon quickly arrive at the truth. We never can do that. But we're also reminded of two things, that God is the only one who is truly just, and it's only Him alone that can justify, and we receive that through faith in Jesus. And so in an attempt to set those parameters, who exactly do I need to love? The lawyer asks the question, who is my neighbor? And in response, Jesus tells him the story. The story that takes place on that Jericho road with hills, curves, hiding spots, and robbers. 
and we encounter a neighbor in need who is, according to the story, he's robbed, beaten, and left for dead. And the neighbor in need, there's, there's no doubt of his need, is ignored by two religious leaders. And so we have a neighbor in need, but he's a neighbor who is ignored because a priest and a Levite both pass by. And verse 31 and 32 both highlight their actions. They came to the place, and when they saw him, they passed by on the other side. Just imagine someone on a, you're, they're walking along the street and they look and they catch the eye of someone. And it, it may be someone that they don't really want to encounter. Maybe they're, you know, I just can't deal with that right now or I'm too, too busy. And instead of taking the shortest route to where they go, they make their way around, maybe even cross the street, maybe go to another aisle, duck away on the, on the grocery store to move away from them. And they take the long way around to avoid the situation. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us why these religious leaders failed to help. There's probably many reasons we could suggest. Perhaps they were too busy. Perhaps they thought they were too holy. Perhaps they thought somebody else should do it. But the main thing we can know about both of these men is that they both knew the law. They knew what God had written. And so there would be no excuse for them not to stop, and just about anyone listening to Jesus tell this story would expect these two guys, at least one of them, to stop and help this wounded neighbor. Now, what do they have in common? Both men saw the same man at the same spot, and neither of them did anything. And they took that long way around, and then they went on their way. But we need to understand that love never ignores others. You see, we see all kinds of people every day. And we describe them, judge them, whether verbally or judge them in our mind covertly based on their appearance, their actions, their clothes, their decisions. And we choose in a microsecond who we want to engage, and who we just want to pass by on the other side. But we need to remember that each one of those people is unique. They're created in the image of God, and God loves each and every one of them, and that includes you and me. In one of the books I'm reading, um, The Externally Focused Life, I just want you to listen to this sentence. We will never lock eyes with anybody who isn't valued by God just as we are valued by God, no matter what his or her life looks like. So from somebody you think, man, I'm so blessed to know them, to somebody thinking, oh my gosh, here they come again. When you look into their eyes, you will never look into someone that is not created in God's image, loved by God, valued by God, and God has a plan and a purpose for them to be more than they encouraging because there's not a single person or a single thing anyone can do to ever become disqualified from God's love. No matter our sin, no matter our actions, God's never going to say to us, I'm done with you. And just on the same, almost on the same footing, there's nothing we can do to earn God's love. His love is available and the opportunity to respond to it is made to everyone. And many people feel unloved. But it's really not true. They're loved by God. And no one, no matter what we would think in our minds, is considered unlovable. And then I wrote this down as an encouragement. Just to me, maybe it's to you too. God never passes by on the other side when we have a need. He never just makes a detour around us. He intersects with us. And when our hearts are tuned to his heart, we won't pass up those opportunities either. And so we have intersection. Next we have interaction. Our neighbors need compassion. 
We've already highlighted these two religious fellows, the priest and the Levite, and they, they missed an opportunity. They saw the need. They chose to do nothing. And anybody, probably if they were Jewish, that was there and overheard would probably suggest, wait a minute, now one of those guys should have done something. They were supposed to be the heroes of the story, but Jesus suggests to them an unexpected hero. A man who was led by love and we're introduced into him and in verse 33, but a Samaritan. Three shocking words to any Jewish person. No way. How could a Samaritan be a hero? They would be as far from a hero as any Jewish person would ever suggest because as Jesus quickly pointed out when is the story of the woman at the well, you know, it were pointed out that Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Why? Because they were half Jewish, half Gentile. Most likely they um, intermingled with the Assyrians and they were unappreciated, even considered despised. They lived in an area where Jewish people would deliberately make a circle around to not go through. They had their own temple, their own religious system, but we read in that story of the woman at the well that even though a good Jew went around Samaria, what did Jesus say? I must go through Samaria. And when he did, he met a woman and he changed her life and her life changed the life of many. So, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and we don't read he passed by on the other side, do we? And when he saw him, he had compassion. So, same road, same victim, but now we have a Samaritan. He looks at the man while the other avoided contact. And even though there was the fact that he was a Samaritan, we don't know if this other guy's Jewish or not, or if he's a Samaritan, he was unhindered in his actions. He wasn't bound up in his selfishness. He wasn't bound up in, in busyness. He wasn't bound up in religion. No, he was motivated by compassion. And he had a heart that stepped forward and did something. Because listen to what it says. It says he came, he saw, and you know Caesar conquered. This man had compassion. He came, he saw, he had compassion. Which brings us to that word, compassion. What exactly is it? There's many different ways to define it. I found one that I thought was most um, compact and helpful um, from the Bible Project website. Compassion is to be moved by the pain of others. To embrace the hurting and to participate in relieving suffering. Let me tell you why I, I like that definition, because the idea of that word compassion has to do with a deep motion, deep emotion that comes from the inside. Now, in the Greek mind, they considered that to be your bowels or your intestines. That was where the emotions came from. And it, the word conveys the idea of being deeply moved, having sympathy or pity and compassion, warmth toward others. Now in the Hebrew mind, obviously would have been in the mind of Jesus is the Hebrew word, rahim, coming from the word rahim, which means womb. It's interesting, Deborah and Samara, in studying Hebrew, found that out that the Hebrew word for compassion actually comes from the word womb the place of nurture and comfort until after nine months you're kicked out into this mean world. It's always masculine. It points to the connection and the bond between a mother and a baby. And if you read Exodus 34, 6, you find that the Lord passed before them and proclaimed of himself, the Lord, the Lord a grace, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
And so verses 34 and 35 tell us that this Samaritan was led by compassion. He had a gut feeling that wouldn't go away that caused him to act. And he showed both mercy and grace and gave immediate assistance. How do we know that? Because as we read the story, we find that he makes sure that his neighbor's needs are taken care of, and then he makes an allotment for his needs in the future. He treated his wounds, so he did immediate first aid on the scene. He provided transportation. He let him ride on his donkey. Not really sure if it was an Uber donkey or a Lyft donkey, but he did give the man a ride. And he brought him to an inn, which would have been the closest thing in that day to an emergency room. They didn't have hospitals. He took care of the man, and then he left some money for other expenses. So he went the extra step. Verse 36 tells us that. Take care of him, and whatever you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He left some money and then said, if there's more, I would let me know. So just like that man on the side of the road, beaten, left for dead, we have neighbors all around us that need compassion that need care, that need love. But more often than not, they're not met with compassion. They're met with criticism, cynicism, condemnation, or they're just ignored. And so what we need is God through His Holy Spirit to birth in us a heart of compassion and a passion to care and share and encourage those around us. So I'm so excited about Embrace Grace that's starting this Wednesday. And they advertise it. They say, we're a pro-love movement. And they say this, together we can ensure that no single mom or dad has to walk alone. That's where it starts. Are you willing to have the compassion to step up to somebody and say, I don't want you to walk through life alone. Listen to just a brief testimony from a young lady named Brandy. She's an alumnus, so she's a graduate of Embrace Grace. Listen to what she said. I was broken, but then I was invited into an Embrace Grace family. They showed me I was valuable and strong. They taught me how to forgive and how to pray. I'm no longer broken because God put my broken heart back together. That's just one story. But do you see that? Broken, she had a need. She was invited. Somebody intersected into her life, gave an invitation. What did she receive? She started to receive the healing that only God can provide through Jesus. I was valued. I was valuable. I was strong. And God's putting her broken heart back together. Another quote from another book, The Art of Neighboring, that I'm also reading, says this, We can say without any exaggeration that 100% of the time, When we love, serve, and minister to others, sooner or later, someone will ask, why are you doing that? Sometimes it's out of curiosity. Sometimes they're just skeptical. What's the hook? And at that point, that's when the curtain's pulled back, the door is open, and you have the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. Now, now please don't get me wrong. We don't use this as a hook. We don't show compassion to attract people. We, we simply show compassion because we're followers of Jesus, and that's what we're supposed to do. But when we show compassion, it provides the opportunity for us to share more about the reason we're doing it. And when we get those opportunities to share about Him, it makes those times of service more sweet, and more enjoyable. And so a couple of practical thoughts before we move on is that, you know, we need to meet our neighbors where they're at, where they are. What do I mean by that? Well, people that are apart from Jesus live like people that are apart from Jesus. And so our job as we intersect is to be a friend to them. That means listening, asking questions, showing interest, getting to know the person, letting them know that they are valued, they are loved, that you care. Along with that, we need to 
make sure that we see people, neighbors, see our neighbors as people, not problems or projects. Projects get fixed and marked off a to-do list. People are involved in relationships. So keep in mind, every face you contact, every face you see has a name, and every name you come to know has a story, and every face that has a name is created in God's image, needs the only life that Jesus can give, and the reason you are there with that person at that time is because God had an appointment. And if he had wanted somebody else to be involved, he'd have sent them. But if you're there, it's Jesus. So don't see him as people, but remember that every person is filled with potential. Don't you remember those people in your life that looked at you not for what you were, but what you could be and spoke to you as that was true? We're living that out in a practical way with a wild and crazy dog. Um, But we have chosen to speak things that are not as they are. And he constantly receives the fact that he's a good boy. He's a good boy when he may not always have been a good boy. But we need to see people with potential, not with problems, to realize that, sure, they're in bondage, but only Jesus can set them free. And with Jesus, he can help them to reach the heights of all that they can become. See, a heart of compassion leads to action. It just won't go away. It's like a heartache in your your belly that requires you to do something if you have compassion. Compassion, that's the internal motivation. And what will happen is an external action, and that's acts of mercy. So we have intersection, interaction, and finally we come to intervention. Your neighbors need you. I did that intentionally to make it personal. You know, our neighbors don't need us. Our neighbors don't need somebody. Your neighbor needs you. Because they're your neighbor, and your neighbor is the person that you contact with. So Jesus, back to our story, wraps up this story with another question. Remember the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus turns that focus around, and he asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now the young lawyer answers, Well, the one who showed compassion, he didn't say that Samaritan, the one who showed compassion. And Jesus responds, what? Go and do the same. In that there's a call to action, there's a call to love. That we need to not only see our neighbors, but we need to be a neighbor. Now back to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. After many years of faithful service on television. He finally received his shining moment at the Hollywood Walk of Fame. They put his star there on the pavement. He put his prints in the concrete. He was wearing his tie and wearing his sweater. But he didn't spend any time talking about his career, his fame, his legacy. He took the opportunity to talk to the reporters about why they were on this earth and why he was on the earth. Not to become great or to make a great name, but in his words, to focus on the important things. Things that are small, little daily acts that make our world a better place. We have to see our neighbors. Do you see them? Do you see their faces? Do you know their names? Do you have any idea what their needs are? Do you know what they like, what they don't like? Do you know what they fear? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the people around you? And are you moved with compassion? Is it just information? Put it in the file. Stay away from them. They're weird. Or are you moved to compassion where you are driven by the love of God to be a neighbor. That day by day, little acts of love 
piled up upon another act of love after act of love as we honor our Savior, as we help others. Are we being a neighbor? We didn't talk about excuses, but we could have spent a lot of time talking about excuses, much like the lawyer, I'm too busy. I'm not really good at that. I'm, I'm not a really. I'm not a people person. Um, those are mine. I don't know what yours are, um, but you could probably find something similar. But if you listen and you quickly think about that, you you really think, "Am I being a neighbor? Do I listen? Do I see my neighbors?" You quickly come to realize that maybe you're like me and you're not doing as great a job as you think you are. But the reality is. that when we are a neighbor, we're just loving from the heart that God has put in us. It's the only way we can love Him is because He loved us first. He gives us comfort so we can comfort other people. Have you been comforted? Somebody else needs to hear it. He's compassionate toward us, and in turn, we are compassionate toward others. And we can, in His strength, love our neighbors as we do ourselves. We can choose to love those that are seem unlovable. We can choose to serve when we feel like we're the one that's, that deserve being served. And we can choose to give when we would rather receive. You see, your neighbors have needs that you can meet. You may not be able to go to the extreme that the Samaritan did and and do all the taking care and then leave money. You may not be able to provide that monetary piece for future care, but I'm sure there's things that you can do for real people that are right there in front of you. Real people that are a lot like you and real people who need real love that comes from the heart of Jesus that's in our heart that can be passed on to others because our neighbors, the people around us, need to experience love and compassion. That comes from Jesus, and they'll only see it if we share it with our attitudes and our actions and our words. Now as we close, I want to kind of just connect us to just the, the picture on the horizon of what God is doing, the idea that we are here at Cross Timber to offer hope to hurting people. Now that hope is not a false hope, it's the hope of Jesus. And realizing that neighbors are hurting around us every day. And our responsibility is to, to get to know them, choose to love them, choose to serve them, commit to pray for them, and welcome them to our family, our church family. And we'll look at family coming up. After a struggle with cancer, Pastor Tim Keller finally passed away, but his heart for people, his heart for ministry in a very diverse and challenging place, the city of New York, his commitment to planting churches and to the good news about Jesus is commendable. And he wrote these words, and I thought this was I read the short quote and then I found it extended and I thought, think this is just so important. The ministry of mercy or compassion is the best advertising a church can have. It convinces a community that this church provides people with actions for their problems, not only talk. It shows the community that this church is compassionate. Do you want to be a part of place like that, that we would grow in a heart of compassion and love for our neighbors and that better than any billboard, whether painted or, or digital, we would just first of all exalt the name of Jesus, but also get the word out there, cross him as a place where there's compassion, there's hope, there's Jesus. So how can we be a neighbor? There's three short things that kind of sum up what I, I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago and reminding you of those words from Mr. Rogers, to love someone is 
strive to accept the person exactly the way he or she is right here and right now. So what can we do right here and right now? First thing is look around. We're so busy. We're so focused on the things that we have to get done. We focus on what we're reading, what we're studying. Please focus while you're driving. Um, We focus on our phones. We focus on people digitally that are far away, and we miss the people that are right in front of us. So look around. And when you look around, see people. See their faces. When you're driving down the street, see homes. See basketball goals. Hey, there's probably a kid there. See a boat. He's probably a Sunday morning fisherman. Maybe not. He could be a Saturday fisherman. Um, But you see things like that. It gives you insight of how to pray. Sign up for things like Bless Every Home, which gives you the names as best as the, the tax rolls can keep up with it, to reach out and to pray for your neighborhood. And then as Rich and Sue do, as you find out, well, okay, that name's not right, you can go in and correct it. And you know that person's name. But look around. Jesus called us to look around and to see what? That the fields were already white unto harvest. And to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. So look around. And then the second thing is pray a lot. I didn't run that one through the grammar checker because I wanted to use a lot. Um, I could have had a better word. But pray a lot. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for yourself. Because you'll try to duck out of this as quickly as anything else. You'll make all kinds of excuses if you let yourself and you don't hold yourself um, accountable through the place of prayer, just saying, God, you know that I struggle in this area. God, you know I don't want to do this. God, you know I have so many other things I'd rather do. But God, I want to choose to love you and I choose to love others. So pray a lot. Pray for yourself, for your own attitude, and then pray for the other persons. Again, back to, you know, pray, bless every home. When you find somebody's name, you know, and, and it just rings, you know, just remember when you come across that name, you know, it's maybe you read it off a name tag at a grocery store or restaurant. Pray for that person, but pray a lot. Look around, pray a lot, and then love in action or put love in action. You know, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's so small, simple acts of kindness, of love that represent the Savior that over time build up to an opportunity where we can introduce them to the one person that can change everything. You see, the need is for our neighbors to experience love and compassion. The way God chooses to do it is through the attitudes and the actions of the people that are called by His name, who are committed to love Him with everything they've got and to love their neighbors as themselves. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this story, it's a reminder of, first of all, your compassion toward us. That if we see in this story that beyond a Samaritan that did good good deeds, there is a perfect Savior who will never pass by who binds up our wounds, who carries us to a place of safety, who has made perfect provision for our every need and is coming back again. So Jesus, we thank you for being our rescuer. We thank you for your compassion and your heart that you place in us. Lord, help us to grow deeper in our affection for you. And as we praise you as we thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord, that you would build in us what is not natural. And that is a heart of compassion. To challenge us in the area that we need to be challenged in. And for me personally, it's easy to like people that like you back. But it's really hard to do what you said in loving your enemies. Lord, help us see that our what we would consider our enemies are our neighbors as well. Help us to see neighbors near and far through the eyes that you see them through, that they are filled with potential and they are in great need of salvation. Lord, I pray you would help us to, to look around us, that we would lift our eyes up from what we're doing, that we would slow down from our busyness, that we would let go of the things that we think we need to have and we would see people that we would pray. Lord, I've never heard anybody say they prayed too much. 
But oh, if we're honest, we should say we need to pray more. Help us to find delight in prayer. Praying for our own spiritual condition, the condition of our other brothers and sisters, but also praying for opportunities, for chains to be broken, for light to shine in darkness, for the gospel to be shared and for you to use us. O oh Lord of the harvest, send more laborers into the harvest and send us. And Lord, as you send us, send us with joy in our hearts, with good news on our lips, with an attitude of service and love motivated by that feeling of compassion that we received and we can now pass on to others. Lord, help us to see who our neighbor is. Lord, and reveal to us how to be a neighbor. Starting now and continuing on. For your sake, we pray. Amen. The moment that we pause at the end of our, our service to listen to God, to hear his voice, and to do what he says. It's a time to pray, to reflect. Make commitments. It can happen where you're at now. It can happen at the front. Maybe there's something you need to pray about. Maybe there's a decision you need to make, whether it's trusting in Christ. Maybe it's joining the church. Maybe saying, you know, God's been calling me to this for a long time, and I just want to surrender and say yes. It's time to say no to self and say yes to Jesus. Jackie's going to play quietly on the piano for a few moments as we listen to the Lord, and we trust that as we listen, He'll lead us to respond. just highlight a couple of things before Deborah comes and tells the, the ladies and you guys about something coming up. First of all, um, we saw the video at the beginning just to let you know today um, starts our emphasis, our week of prayer for the Mary Hill Davis offering for Texas missions um, in the bulletin. If you didn't get one, I encourage you to. You'll find a, a prayer guide that um, you can start this week and pray um, each day for different ministries that go on in the state of Texas, but I would also suggest that this will serve you well even beyond this week as you pray for the work that um, Texas Baptists do here in the state. Our church goal is $2,000. There's also an envelope there that you can put your offering in. If you don't pick up one of these, just put, you know, um, Mary Hill Davis or mission offering or something, and we'll know where to put it. But if you do use one of these, it really is helpful. Second thing, men, um, on October the 3rd, I believe, um, there's the Riverbend Men's Fish Fry. It's been a few years since we've been, but um, we have 10 free tickets available. Um, it's a Tuesday evening. Um, it's in Riverbend out by Glen Rose. It's a free fish um, dinner, all you can eat, followed by um, worship and preaching. If you're interested in going that, you can see me and um, 
get your name on the list. And if we do happen to have more than 10, we'll come up with a way to get tickets for you guys as well. So just make note of that. Deborah, why don't you come and share those things with us? Okay, girls, we got a lot going on this week. So Monday we start back to our point of need group, our, our book club that we meet at Kroger at 630, and we're reading Embrace Grace. So um, if you'll read that first chapter, if you can. If not, some of you still don't have your books. It's not a big deal. Go ahead and come because even I found the times where I hadn't read it, I still really enjoyed the, the conversations and things like that. And so you can just pick up with the next part. Um, it's a really easy read. So if you, you know, maybe can't come or maybe you're a man and you want to read this book, it is fantastic. It is just very encouraging. And I really want to, I really think it's something everybody would enjoy. Um, Wednesday, we have Embrace Grace, as Rusty said, to start. And, um, so, um, you know, we have um, be praying for me, pray for Shelly um, Midkiff, and for Brenda Ranson. We're all, three of us are uh, leaders. We've been through the training, and we'll be in there. We have a girl coming. But also this week has been full of adventures. Larry and Ann Beck went to um, Joshua High School and talked with a school nurse. Theta went and spoke with a counselor at um, the ninth grade campus. And so I've emailed some information to um, to the count, the head of counseling at the hospital, at the administration in Joshua. They are on board. They are excited. We might need to have another box putting together time where what we just did the the love boxes because I promised boxes to all these people. I got six left. So anyway, and then also um, we've got um, the nurse at the admin from Burleson. Um, ISD is very interested in us getting boxes for their girls. First, I've already left several for Crossroads, but the rest of the schools. So all that's going on this week. Um, and just pray that the Lord would bring some of these girls in. We just have one girl right now, but I have a feeling in the next few weeks we may get more. Pray for the Lord of the harvest. You know, pray that he would draw their hearts toward himself. And pray for us. Our job in there for Shelly and for Brenda and I, it's not for us to give advice. That is so hard. You know, that is so hard. Our job is to say, you know what, Let, we'll pray with you about that. Let's see what God will do. That's a step of faith for us as well, right? You just want to fix people sometimes, right? And that's not what we're doing. And so pray for us in this. And this ministry is exciting. And then Thursday, very much connected to that, is going to be our Ladies Connect at 630 here Mel Rodriguez is going to be sharing her testimony. I know you're going to want to come and listen and hear what she has to share. Also, to minister to the Next Step girls, I mean Next Step, the um, Embrace Grace girls, we're going to be making cards of encouragement. So she's bringing cards for us to fill out. To So be praying this week about a verse that God wants you to share. Because this is what happens. Every time we meet with our Embrace Grace girls, before they walk out the door, there's, there's a, a basket with cards in it, and they have to pick one. And it's going to have a word of encouragement and a scripture on it. And the testimonies that have come out of this ministry before is some girls got the same verse every time and just knew that was God. And it was just like every time, like, I've got to do it again. You know, and so just pray about a scripture that God wants you to have. I'll have some scriptures already laid out if you don't have something. I will also have some templates for you to copy from. So come Thursday night ready to write cards. Mel will have the pens and the cards. and So come and hear her testimony. It would be a great time of encouragement. Please, if you're able to come be here. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think that's all I have. I'm sorry. Great. Thanks, Deborah. She writes those down on her note cards. All right. Well, the worship team is going to come up. I was supposed to tell them earlier. They're going to come up and, um, and lead us in a closing song. But while they're making their way this way, let me just tell you, um, it's been a pleasure to worship with you. This morning as we sing, um, we listen to God's Word as we speak, and um, I don't know if you kind of noticed, but I, I think maybe, I don't know if that's Western or Bluegrassy, but that's kind of their, their sweet spot when they, when, and I don't know if it's because of, you know, Mitchell, the drummer's in, interest in Bluegrass or what, but the drumming, you know, not really, I'm just kidding. It's probably these two guys over here that play the other instruments, but you know, that was, that was fun, and just enjoy weekly um, what you do, and I appreciate your um, your willingness to serve um, through the giftings that the Lord has given you. So I want to invite you to stand. Um, thank you for being here this morning. We're going to sing together, and then when we finish singing, um, you guys are dismissed.